is the Todd and Friends podcast. I don't like to waffle on predictions. That doesn't mean I always hope I'm right. Oh, what's he going to do? <laughs> oh, come on. I'm with you. So, thank uh, you. Yeah, I'm with you. Todd, right. I knew we'd agree on something here. From the KWLM Sports Studio. With thanks to Heritage Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Here's Todd Bergaff. Hey, thanks for joining us on the podcast once again today. Alan Horton uh, joins us uh, on the telephone as he's with the Timberwolves uh, uh, out in Denver. Uh, they're on the road for a best-of-seven playoff series with the Nuggets. Game one uh, in the books. Uh, Timberwolves got I think, caught by the schedule a little bit and, of course, by a very good Denver team. Uh, Alan, talk about uh, game one of the playoff series a little bit. Yeah, I think... Uh... You know, there were two thoughts coming into it that, that maybe Denver was uh, hadn't played in about a week and a little bit rusty, hadn't played a big game in maybe a month or so, maybe even longer. I mean, they've been able to dominate the West, uh, not putting up 60 wins, but uh, comfortably getting the number one seed and then kind of cruising to the finish line. And uh, there was some thought that the Timberwolves, you know, had some momentum going and uh, playing some big games over the last couple of weeks. But um, I think what happened was um, that we saw a Denver team that was clearly ready to play. Uh, they were amped up. They used their rest wisely, apparently, and they came out and they were just flat out the better team. They just they just dominated. Chris Finch said afterwards, you know, they just dominated us in every single category. And mm-hmm. maybe the Wolves got a little tired, um, and maybe the schedule did catch up to them a little bit. You know, having played Friday night at home and flying Saturday, next thing you know, you're playing on the Nuggets in Game One, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe a little bit of a letdown too. With you know how much has been at stake in every game, and then all of a sudden you begin a seven-game series, and maybe just maybe you start to think a little bit. Okay, well, it's it's not the end of the world if we don't win this game, and that's a little bit of a different mindset than we've seen the last couple of weeks. So, um, team got a, a good film session in yesterday. They had an optional shoot for some of the guys to to go over and get some shots up, and then today they'll have a practice um, and a shoot around tomorrow, and they get set for tomorrow night. Yeah, offense was the issue in in game one. They were just having a hard time getting really easy looks at all uh, against uh, Denver. Uh, ball was sticking a little bit here and there. It did. It did not quite move around as quickly as you'd like it to see. And, uh, you know, the Wolves just didn't play with a lot of force either offensively. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, they weren't aggressive, um, not the same team we had seen the last couple of weeks. And um, it just, you know, it kind of snowballed. They, they survived that first quarter, but second quarter, Denver started to kind of assert themselves. And obviously that third quarter was just an absolute disaster. Mm-hmm. As so many third quarters have been, that's been the Achilles heels for the Achilles heel for the Wolves all season long is those third quarters. It was the 14th time they've been outscored by 10 or more points in that third quarter mm-hmm. throughout the season. And that's a huge number. And so it's, um, you know, and they got off to a really poor start after halftime, too, which was really troubling, you know, because halftime, you, you'd like to think, you go in, you regroup, you refocus, uh, you, you realize you're down by 11, you've got to make up some ground, you've got to start playing well immediately to begin the second half. And all of a sudden, the Timberwolves allowed the Nuggets to go on a 9-1 run. Wolves went, uh, let's see, 0 for 4 with three turnovers in there in their first seven possessions, and it was kind of, uh, it, it, it was an uphill slog the rest of the way. You're getting a good uh, look at Nikola Jokic, and he, he's a basketball genius. There aren't that many guys uh, in the NBA. Uh, you could count them on maybe one hand who know where everybody is, and not only that, but they know where they're going to be in the next few seconds. He can just read everything. He positions his body perfectly. I hate it when they start using Jokic at the high post. The guy's deadly from there. He is. He's got... Um... He's obviously got the ability just to beat you one-on-one, too, or draw a foul or hit a shot because his shooting touch is so incredible. Mm-hmm. That's what always amazes me. The, the, the Kind of the area of the paint where you're not in a restricted area, 
that's that's a really difficult shot, and he has led the NBA uh, in shooting percentage from that range. He shoots about 63% this year, which the league average is like 40-something. Like He's so much better at that with his touch. Um, it's unbelievable. And then in that passing ability that you mentioned, there were – he set up three. He set up three three-pointers in, in game one, and two of them. You know the Wolves worked on this. You, you know, have to always be aware. Your head's got to be on a swivel when Jokic has the ball. You've got to expect the unexpected. And he zipped a pass to the corner that went right over Anthony Edwards' head. I mean, the the other Nugget who caught it was behind Anthony Edwards, and Jokic just no looked it and zipped it right over Ant's head. Uh, later, he zipped one right past Mike Conley, and those guys just, you know, you're, you're starstruck. You're you're that's not normal. You're not used to seeing that. And even though the Wolves were talking about that before the game as part of their game plan, um, you know, to be aware, uh, to watch out for those kind of passes, he still makes it happen. It's it's amazing. And he had he had another play, Todd, too, which if you watch Jokic, so he grew up in Serbia, mm-hmm. and water polo was a big big sport in that part of the world. And he played growing up. And you can see him sometimes when he gets an offensive rebound, when he gets a pass inside, he'll make the catch one-handed and twist his hand around like a guy playing water polo. Huh. And it, that's so rare. You just always see a guy with two hands on the ball, and he just kind of shields off a defender or two with his left arm, takes it with his right, just palms it, and just moves it around. And he's got such great touch that he's able to sort of catch a pass near his head and then shift it in his hand and then roll it up over the rim for two. I mean, it's just it's incredible the way he, the, some of the skill that he has. They must have had some pretty deep pools in Serbia. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> seven feet tall. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there are some big guys that do water polo. I did some water polo in Southern California ah. broadcasting, and um, I, I, I'm still—I know you're supposed to score goals, but I think the idea is not to drown. Or I think the idea is you try to drown the other pe- uh, the team, <laughs> and they try to drown you. I think that's what basically one of the uh, alter. Besides scoring goals, that's the other goal of that whole thing. Right. And and Jokic uh, coming through that, he's able to fend guys off. I don't know if you see a guy that's able, you know, he, he's not foot speed. You you watch him go up and down the floor. You don't necessarily see athlete. Uh, but what you see is a guy who's so good at using his body for screens, for moving, his, his pivoting. He had one pivot move uh, against Towns, I think it was, last night, where he pivoted a 360 and then stepped through and laid it in very easily. His footwork is beyond compare. Yeah, it's uh, it's really impressive. He hit so many pump fakes on one of those that it was just it yeah. was to the right, it was to the left, it was to the right, it was to he just kept going, and he he does a great job of, you know, he's not the most uh, chiseled athlete out there, right? Mm-hmm. He's not this sculpted Anthony Edwards type body, yep. uh, but it works for him because he's got the skill to go with that body. Mm-hmm. And when he's making all those post moves, he doesn't travel either. It's really he's you really got to be solid with your footwork, as you mentioned. He can. He can do that with the best of them. He's just um, he, he's got everything, you know, and um, it puts pressure on a defense because you don't want to let him get into that kind of action down low, and then you throw another defender at him. But great, now he's got the size six ten to make any pass, and even if he can't see that guy, he like you said, he knows where they are, mm-hmm. so he can make any pass in the book. It's it's, it's really a tough a, a tall tale to try to to try to slow him down and slow down this Nuggets offense. Yeah, entertaining to watch. If if you want to learn how to play basketball, watch Nikola Jokic. Absolutely. I mean, Take your fandom out of it and just watch what yeah. Nikola Jokic does. It's really um, it's really impressive. There's yeah. a reason why he's a two-time MVP, and he might be a three-time MVP, although I, I don't know the voters are going to want to give it to him for a third time. Seems to be a lot of momentum, I guess, for uh, Joel Embiid at, at this point for the Sixers, it seems like. 
And Jokic he's kind of sat five of the last seven games. The, yeah. the Nuggets went seven and ten since early March. They haven't played a lot of big games during that stretch, and I think um, his numbers kind of tailed off a little bit. But for the better of the team, because if he's rested and ready to go for the postseason, that's yeah. that's more important than uh, certainly for him, a guy who does not care about his stats one bit. Um, you know, I think I think he'd be uh, I think he'd be all right with not getting the MVP if his team made a nice deep run in the postseason. Yeah. Nikhil Alexander-Walker got the start in Game 1. Will that continue? That's going to be, uh, that's going to be interesting to see. I, I think if there is a change, that, um, that's where it would be, although Nikhil had another good defensive night. Uh, according to NBA.com, the player tracking data, um, he was the world's best defender. I think he, uh, opponents against Nikhil shot 4 of 12, and against the rest of the team they shot about 55%, almost 50% from 3. So he was the one guy when he was the primary defender who had some success against uh against denver but i'm not i'm not completely sold it's a great fit offensively with him in the starting lineup and um i wonder if i wonder if maybe you know torian prince comes back in um to provide a little more maybe not the defensive chops that nikhil has showed the last couple of games but maybe just because the offense can flow a little bit better and maybe torian's more capable of knocking down although he didn't hit a shot uh the other night in game one either so it's uh, you know there are not a lot of options at this point without Jaden McDaniels, without Nas Reed. Um, I, I don't think they're going to go too big and try to start Kyle Anderson. And one, one of the reasons Chris Finch liked McKeel in the starting lineup is that it, you saved your minutes with Kyle Anderson and Torian Prince. And now when they check in, maybe midway through the first quarter, now you've shortened the game. Now it's, you know, instead of a 48-minute game, it's a 40, 40 or 42-minute game. Mm-hmm. And now you can use those guys more frequently down the stretch um, if they've only got, you know, 25, 30 minutes to, to, to be played. Fresher bodies, that's for sure. Hey, uh, yeah, and just shortening the game with that. Yep. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about Anthony Edwards. He was catching some flack after, you know, not a very good game against the Lakers. That he was better against OKC. How did he look here in Game One against Denver? Well, it wasn't great. I, nobody played well. For yeah. So, um, but I, I thought Ant. I talked to him a little bit after shoot around uh, before the game, and he he said that fall really kind of shook him. You know, the fall he had against yeah. the Lakers. And end of third quarter, not only did he make that fall, he kind of landed on his wrist, which was bothering him. He kind of landed on his shoulder. That was bothering him. Yeah, and after that, whatever that fall did, it kind of triggered something in his body. He's like, I went back to the locker room. I, my whole body was kind of cramping and everything. So that was that was a pretty traumatic, uh, traumatic fall there for him. And it definitely affected him the rest of that game. I thought it affected him against Oklahoma City, mm. uh, but I thought he looked a lot better, a lot freer, and uh, a lot more comfortable the other night. It didn't translate to a big night because just you know nothing was going right yeah. for the Wolves. Everything was a struggle. But um, I think I think he's in a better place health wise than maybe we seen last week. I honestly had kind of forgotten about Michael Porter Jr. and what a good player he is. I, I, I'd seen him play against the Timberwolves and so forth, but, you know, he was a guy who was a very high draft pick uh, by them and has struggled with injuries, but, boy, he's an athletic player. He is. I mean, that's Denver kind of had him fall into their lap, and they could afford to uh, he didn't even play his rookie year. He had mm-hmm. back surgery. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he's now done. He's had back surgery three times. It's amazing. His family, very athletic family, but all of his siblings have all had injury problems. Mm. His sisters have had knee issues in soccer and basketball. And his brothers had other injuries. Like, it goes right down the line. It's been yeah. incredible. So, um, you know, I compare him. He's, he's not the same size and, and position as Zach Levine. Mm-hmm. But both of them have this amazing athletic ability just to lift off the floor um, and get the shot off whenever they want. Zach does the exact same thing. 
Um, and that's why I've always kind of been high on those guys because, boy, if they're healthy, and obviously that's a big if, especially with Michael Porter Jr., yeah. but um, that is just an amazing – there's just no way you can kind of slow them down. You could have a hand up and they could just rise up over you. Like Zach's got that amazing athletic ability and so does Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, just nine games last year for uh, for Michael Porter Jr. Uh, for the Nuggets. Uh, so how do, how did they get it turned around uh, in game two? I mean, it isn't it, teams in the NBA playoffs since they went to best of seven series, 92%, the teams that go up 2-0. So, you know, pretty big game coming up. Yeah, it is. And uh, especially, you know, I think if you probably narrow it down even further, a one seed versus an eight seed. Yeah. Uh, only three times has in the last 20 years since they expanded the first round has a team – uh, an eight beat a one, and there yeah. was some pretty, you know, you could really pick apart all those series. One of them was the We Believe Warriors, who had things rolling against uh, Dallas Mavericks. You had Philadelphia beating Chicago. That was when Derrick Rose was leading Chicago, and Tibbs had him out there late in game one or two, maybe, and Derrick blew out his knee. And then the other one kind of escapes me right now. There's one other one that was back in 2011. Okay. Um, but it's pretty rare, and, boy, your chances are just, you know, I guess the doors open a crack if you go down 0-2, but it's almost shut. It's just that's going to be awfully difficult to do, especially with a team like the Wolves have, who have not been consistent um, at all this season and, and asking them to all of a sudden win, what, four out of the next five games against the number one team in the West? That's yeah. going to be a tall tale. I think it's got to start um, – I think their defense was, was – it wasn't great the other night, but it was, it was solid enough – I think there's room for improvement, no doubt. Uh, but I think it's got to start at the offensive end. I think the Wolves just have to have quicker ball movement. they got to be shot ready. Um, you know, it was interesting. You know, I looked back at Carl Towns' shooting performance, and he just did not have it going the other night. His first three threes were all 29 feet, 26 feet, and 27 feet. So he's a good three or four feet, five feet beyond the three-point line. That's not his game. And the first three threes that he took, I watched back the replays, you know, there were opportunities for him to move closer to the three-point line. Get yourself to the three-point line. Get shot ready so when that pass comes to you, boom, you can knock it down. There's another guy that's not going to get his three-point shot blocked. Um, he doesn't get a lot of lift on the three, but he doesn't need to because he's seven foot. But Carl did not do a good job getting to that three-point line um, and, and, and giving himself a better chance. He's look, he, he can hit from 29 feet, and he hit his only three of the game was late in the fourth quarter, and that was from 29 feet, but... Um, those are few and far between. That's not his game. He's a 40% three-point shooter for a reason. He needs to get right to the three-point line. That's where his game is at. Um, and I just thought I just thought that was a poor start. And also his start to the third quarter. I mentioned the 9-1 run. Well, Carl missed a couple of threes, and he had two turnovers in that stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the way, you know, if you're leading a basketball team and he's one of their leaders, you can't have that kind of performance. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, I think it's got to start at the offensive end with better ball movement, keep attacking, keep the ball moving. This Denver defense is not a great defense. They give up a ton in the paint and at the rim, and the Wolves just didn't take advantage of that. They only had 14 shots at the rim. That's one of the lowest uh, totals of the wow. season. Yeah. Hey, you know, if if you don't uh, want to – the NBA playoffs, the, the intensity does ramp up. In every professional sport, it does. Not just in the NBA. The NHL, it does too. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I do some media, uh, you know, uh, social media battles with some of my hockey friends. But if, if, mm-hmm. if you can't enjoy Sacramento and Golden State, what a, what a game last night. What a series <laughs> that's going to be. But here's Sacktown up two games to none on Golden State. Yeah. And as we just talked, it's hard to get out of that hole. Yeah, it's uh, it's been really enjoyable. You're right. And uh, Kings have gotten everything they deserve. They played a really good regular season. 
could only beat the Wolves once. I mean, the Wolves won three of those four meetings, and I thought they really played well against them. I mm-hmm. thought that would have been an interesting matchup for Minnesota. But well, that crowd is, um, you know, obviously having missed the playoffs since, you know, who knows when, 15, 16 years. Yep. It's, been, uh, it's been incredible. And Darren Fox has just been he, – he has hit some big-time shots. Malik Monk was big the other night. Um, and they withstood everything that Clay Thompson and Steph Curry were throwing at them. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's interesting about Golden State. I just I always find myself rooting for him. I think that's I think that's kind of the Steph Curry factor. I don't. Yeah. I, I think it's hard to hate Steph Curry. Right. So I always end up rooting for him. But I have to wonder with Golden State, like, have they reached a point? I mean, have they reached this saturation point where, mm-hmm. you know, teams are kind of ready for them. They know what Steph and Clay are going to do. You know what Draymond is going to do. Um, and it was all on display the other night with him getting tossed out and stomping on the chest of Sabonis. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I always wonder, like, what if they don't get out of this first round, what is the future of Draymond Green? I think he's up. Uh, his contract is up. Um, how do the Wolves? Uh, how do the how do the Warriors kind of do they move on from that? Do they turn the page on this era or do they run it back? Like, how much longer can you go with this group? It's a yeah. re- really interesting decision for Bob Myers in the front office. That's what I was just going to ask you about. Are we seeing the last iteration of this group of Warriors who, you know, what did they win? Four world championships out of seven years, was it? I mean, that's yeah. a that's a dynasty, isn't it? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah I think in this day and age, that's, uh, <clears throat> that's really impressive. And, uh, you know, last year's run was really a surprise. I, think. Yeah. I don't think that they went in thinking, hey, this is, this is going to be our fourth. This is going to be the year we do it. They had a lot of things go their way. And uh, so far that hasn't happened this year, but... And and I think a lot of people have been saying, well, they're just it's just not they haven't had it this year. Jordan Poole's not been as good. Andrew Wiggins missed all this time. Um, Steph and Clay, yeah, they have good nights sometimes. But you know, you saw Clay. I mean, uh, Steph throw up a couple of air balls late in that game. He had the chance to tie game one, and he decided to go with a one-footed runner from the three-point line, which I thought was a weird decision because he had time to stop, pop with two feet, and really stroke that thing. And I would have given him a much higher chance of making it than what he settled for. Um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I, I mean, you're still stuck. You, stuck is a, I use that in quotation marks because Curry and, and Clay Thompson are still under contract. Yes. But I think Draymond Green is the one that I think is up and you have to make a big, big decision. I don't know if you can afford to, you know, yeah, it's also, you know, year whatever of paying the luxury tax. And at some point, um, you know, Golden State would love to get out of that and reset yeah. that thing because it just gets progressively higher and higher as far as the tax you have to pay what time uh tomorrow night alan it's a great question it's late at night that's all i know in this series Every, <laughs> uh, we started at we started at eight we tipped off at eight fifty uh mountain time so nine fifty. that yeah, was late central ten fifty east coast time and i i mentioned on the air how are we going to develop the next generation of, of wolves fans and nuggets fans on the east coast when these games are starting at 11 o'clock at night nobody can watch them yeah even my my kids were just like, ah, oh, what, what? The game was so late; I, I, they couldn't even get through the first quarter before going to bed and getting ready for school. Right. I thought that was, I you know, during the week, I get it. You you, you have to start these games in, at at seven, and you're going to have some late games. I get it. But on the weekend, on a Sunday, it's inexcusable. They should have put a game at noon, like they did it on Saturday, and have kind of a noon to four, you know whatever every yeah. two and a half hours start yeah. a game. Figure it out. Um, but to start that game on a Sunday night at 10:50 is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And, and Charles Barkley was right. I retweeted him, and uh, I was just like I couldn't agree more. I don't see eye to eye with Charles on a lot of things, but yeah. he was absolutely right on a, on a Sunday. Man, 
those games should not be ended. They should be ending at 11, not starting at That's 11. Right. Yep. Uh, right. But all these games, I think we're a half hour earlier t- uh, tomorrow yep. night. So mm-hmm. instead of eight, uh, 9.50 Central, it's supposed to be, right now it's a 9.05 tip, but there could be a 10-minute slide, so that would be 9.50. Yep. So just after 9 o'clock is when uh, you know the pregame show gets underway at 8.30 Central time, so all those times are Central and uh you know, whatever time they do, tell us to tip it off. We'll uh, we'll play it. We'll, 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 we'll abide by the rules. We'll, right. we'll, we'll, we'll describe the action. That's right. And and we'll be tuned in. Alan, thanks so much. You got it, Todd. Take care. Voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves, Alan Horton, on the Todd and Friends podcast. It's brought to you by Heritage Bank, member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Watch for future episodes of the Todd and Friends podcast at kwlm.com or on the air here at KWLM, 1340 AM and 96.3 FM.